God is working all the time, right? Uh, even when we don't see it, when we don't know it, he's working. The title of my sermon is You're It. You're It. You know, I was on the phone the other day, and I called somebody, and I left a message, and they weren't there, and then they called me back, and then I called them, then they called me, and they said, you're it. And, you know, that tag team, you're it. It's your turn. And so we're it. You know, years ago, I preached a sermon. It was called, Where Are the Evangelists? Where are the evangelists? And I might preach it again because, see, I can recycle my sermons because some of y'all weren't here and you didn't hear it. And I don't care if you did. You don't even remember it. And so I might preach it again, so I won't give that one away today. But when we say we're the evangelists, we're not waiting for some guy called an evangelist or some woman called an evangelist to come here on a Sunday because they can blow up and blow out and then they're gone. It's really the evangelist's job is to stir up those of us that are in the church to go out and evangelize. And so sheep beget sheep. Shepherds don't beget sheep. Really, God is saying to me, we're it. You're it. Because it's your turn. And there is an urgency in the spirit, I believe. Something is different, I believe. I told Cammie, she moved back just in time because something is changing. John talked last week. John's gone today. Be praying for him. He's recovering just fine from COVID. But there's an urgency in the spirit. And John said, the water table, and that the water table is rising in this place. And so he explained it a little bit, and I went ahead and looked it up, and a water table is the upper surface of the zone of saturation where the pores and fractures are saturated with water. Now, the water table level can vary in different areas and even within the same area. The water table can be rising in here, and you can feel it, and the person on the end of the row doesn't. The water table can be rising in here, And the church down the street, they're just dry as a bone. (laughs) So the water table can be rising, but it can vary within regions and even within people. And fluctuations in the water table level are caused by changes in precipitation between seasons and years. You know what precipitation is. (laughs) It's rain. And God said our latter rain would be greater than the former, the R-A-I-N kind of rain. Our latter rain would be greater than the former. And we've had some big monsoony rains in here. We've had God sweep through and hundreds of young people be saved. We've had people come in and be healed miraculously. We've had cancerous tumors disappear in an instant. But he said the latter rain, what we're walking into, is going to be greater than what we've had before, the former. And so there's seasons in our walk with God. And there are seasons in the life of a church. There's seasons in the natural. And seasons change. And some people say, thank God they change because I don't like the season I'm in. But seasons change. And you've got to be ready for the season that God is in. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the Bible talks about the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar. And they were wise, the Bible says, because they had an understanding of the times and the seasons. And they knew what to do. Because, see, it's important for us That when there's a certain season, we notice the opportunity that God is presenting, lest we let the opportunity pass us by. And so there is a saturation that has begun in this house of God. There's a saturation in the presence of God that has gotten stronger and stronger over the last several months. And so I'm going to say to you, be wise. Let it soak into your pores. See, a pore is an opening in your skin. Let it soak into every opening in your life. Every part of your life, every part and parcel of your life, let that saturation soak into you. What about the fracture? See, it's at a water table. It, it, it goes into the fra- what fracture. What's fractured in your life? What's hurt? 
what's wounded. Let the presence of God soak into there. You know, you can be healed in his presence without anybody laying hands on you. You can be healed after your service when somebody just puts their arm around you. You can be healed sitting at your seat just because the presence of God comes your way. I was at my seat last Sunday. The worship team was singing. It was a certain song court. You began to sing. I put it in that text to you. And I felt a healing wind come into place, and it came toward me. And it was like, whoa. I felt like a... And that wind turned. I felt the wind turn and go over there. And when I looked over there, that's where Diana and her mother were. And I'm like, Am I, is that her mother? I think that's her mother. Lord, I don't even know what her mother has. I know her mother needs healing. I don't even know what it is. And that healing wind just drew me over there. And the compassion of the Lord stirred up in me. God is moving in this place, and he might move on you. And see, I could have just ignored him. Oh, don't walk. Don't look around. Don't, wind of God. Don't say wind of God. That sounds stupid. Don't say the wind of God turned. Who's going to believe that? You know, but see, if we just follow what God is doing, we will be wise and we will understand the season and the time that we're in and we'll be on time. And so the time is upon us to listen intently to what God is saying, to pay attention to what God is doing, because something is different right now. And when it's different, you can't be normal. You can't do the usual thing the usual way. Forgive us for coming in, like the song said, with an agenda. Forgive us for coming in, Lord, with our plan of what we want to do. Lord, we want to know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? We must listen intently for what God is saying so that we can obey. Now, in a minute, I want to share some statistics, and if I think it gets too depressing, I'll stop. But, I mean, these are true things that are going on, but I'll share this about Esther. In the book of Esther... I know some of you are brand new, and Dan and Alicia, we want to honor you and thank you for the Bible study that you begin on your day off on Thursdays. The one day off they get on Thursdays, but they knew there was a need. And we had young people coming in who were not familiar with the Bible, didn't know there's an Old and New Testament. Didn't I remember when they go, turn to the book of Malachi, and it looked like Malachi to me because I was Italian. And I thought, this is Malachi. But, and they go, it's right before the New Testament. And I'm like, I don't even know where the old or the new is. Like, nothing, I'd never read a Bible. I was 20, uh, no, I was 20, uh, 24. I was 24 years old. I never had a Bible. Yes, I was brought up in Houston, Texas. I never had a Bible. I went to Mass hundreds of times, but I never had a Bible. And so there are people who do not know the Bible, and they started a Bible study so that they could get people to understand the Word of God, who they are in Christ, what God says about them, His great love for them. And so thank you for doing that. And I got way off my notes. And so in the book of Esther, Mordecai, her uncle, said to her, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews, but from another place. God will do what He's going to do, but I don't want Him to do it without me. See, God will do what he's going to do, but I don't want to miss out on what he's doing. So he says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your house will perish. But who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe it's your time. Maybe you are here for such a time as this. Some of you are sent for such a time as this because this is a pivotal time. Do you know that since 2020, not that long ago, see, I'm not going to quote old history, since 2020, the COVID whole shutdown thing, since 2020, there has been a substantial decline in a biblical worldview in almost every demographic in America. 64 to 83%. Now, I know that's a a 19% 
variance there, but all these surveys differ, but it's just a lot. Between 64 and 83% of professing Christians make their initial decision to accept Christ before age 18. 64 to 83% make their initial profession to accept Christ before age 18. But only 4% of millennials, according to the researchers, will profess Christ by the time they reach adulthood. Whoa, that's not a good percentage. Not a good percentage. Years ago, 43% of all U.S. citizens were unchurched. Today, 68%. 68% of all U.S. citizens, we're talking about America, uh, are unchurched. They don't go to church. Hearts can be set on fire by services and sermons, but most lives are truly changed by relationship. By relationship. Somewhere or other, you got to get involved. You're it. <laughs> You're it. The most striking shift in biblical worldview levels, however, were recorded in all the surveys among born-again Christians. The most striking shifts in biblical worldview levels were recorded among born-again Christians, and it's not a good shift. It's a downward shift. I've talked this week with people whose pastors are not serving God anymore. Their pastors are not knowing what they believe anymore. I have statistics showing I wasn't going to, I crossed it out. I, did, I thought I can't read this to them. 13% of executive pastors have a biblical worldview. What? Why, why are they pastoring? Something like 15% of children's pastors have a biblical worldview. I'm like, whoa. Not here. <laughs> I thank God for our preaching team. Senior pastors, a little more of them, 37% have a biblical worldview, but that means 60, what is that, 63 don't? That's insane. That is insane. Uh, George Borna, who does a lot of these surveys, but he's not the only one I'm quoting, said, we are on a track toward the extinction of a biblical worldview in our nation. But God says we're about to have revival. You're it. <laughs> for such a time as this, you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. So that's where you come in. Like Esther, you are here for now. Like the sons of Issachar, you need to understand the times that you're living in. And you need to see yourself as a vital part of God's plan so you can be it. You need to see it so you can be it. See, I remember I was three months born again, and I would wake up in the morning, and I would go, God, who do you have for me to talk to about Jesus today? Three months born again. Now, I wouldn't go and make a fool of myself and try to push Jesus on whoever was in front of me so that they thought, oh, my God, I can't wait till she shuts up, you know. But I would, I would keep my eyes open. I would see if there was an opening. I would see if there was a place that I could say a little something or do a little something, that I could even bless my service. See, what can you do to give away what you have? Keep your eyes open. You were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. The survey, say, survey says, you know, <laughs> the survey says that young people are largely isolated from biblical thought in our society, and they are the most aggressive at rejecting biblical principles in our culture. Don't tell me what, oh, that's old-fashioned, though. I, I don't want to, don't, uh, sounds like a bunch of rules to me. I can remember when my mother talked to me about Christianity, I thought, I don't need another thing to do. A thing to do. And some people define their Christianity in terms of what they don't do. It's not about what you don't do. 
It's about who you're in love with. It's about who you seek. It's about your first place and your first choice. It's about that. See, we, we get it all backwards, and we have something to offer people that they don't even want because we don't even know what we have to offer sometimes. And so our young people have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. 82% of the American adult population falls into a category that they name world citizens. Now, doesn't that sound, I'm a world citizen. That sounds right, quite sophisticated, doesn't it? Let me tell you what it is. It's people who embrace a few biblical concepts and principles, a few, but generally they believe and behave in ways that are distinctly different than the Bible teaches. In 2020, this category, this world citizen category that just sort of believe a little of the Bible but sort of do their own thing was 69%. Now, in 2023, it's at 82%. 82% of American citizens do their own thing. I'm a citizen of the world. I'm not a child of Jesus. 99% of evangelicals, that's the people who professed Christ. The respondent said, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. That sounds good. I mean, thank God, a, good, a right answer. But based on their answers to the other questions that were posed them, they either don't really believe what they just said, or they don't know what it means, or they don't have a clue what the Bible teaches. Because the survey reveals that what Christians believe is a mess. They hold to varying contradictory beliefs about a variety of things, about who God is, what his nature is, how they should do the Bible, even how people are saved. And it's a mix of Christianity, and it's derived from the thinking of our culture. And so you can't pick and choose. It's not a buffet. It's not the Bible buffet. I like this page. You know, some people gravitate to all the love scriptures, but then if you talk to them anything about being transformed and about, about conviction or even repentance, they get mad. That sounds legalistic. You know, I don't, I don't serve a legalistic God. I just serve a God who he's in charge and I'm not. And so we need to believe the entire Bible. And so just like Esther coming to the kingdom for such a time as this, another survey says only 4% of American adults have a biblical, a truly biblical worldview. 82% are the world Christians, the world citizens, but 4% have a biblical worldview. You're in the 4% if you're in here and you truly have a biblical worldview, but you can sit in here and not. You can sit in here and listen to us and listen to Sabata and be touched by the Holy Spirit. You can sit in here and John can get you on fire. You can sit in here and Kurt can teach you and challenge you and you can go to kingdom class and not have a biblical worldview because you can't pick and choose. And so it is time for us to say, God, I'm going to be all you want me to be because you are all I need. And so in 2023, 6% of born-again Christians actually have a unified, meaningful, biblical mindset by which they respond to the issues of life. Because talk is cheap, but easy always say, I don't want to just hear your talk, I want to see your walk. See, because you can say all day, oh, I trust in Jesus, but the littlest thing comes your way and you fall apart. And so people are watching you not just for your victories, but even how you operate during your trials. See, are you really holding on to the one who loves you? Are you really saying, I trust in him? And so, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to be ugly to anybody else, but there's a prevalence in churchianity right now. And people want, tend to me, tickle my ears, tell me I'm okay, the three T's. Tickle my ears, tend to me, tell me I'm okay. That produces a weak mindset. Here, it's transform lives, train leaders, team ministry. That sounds tough. 
that's the soldier for Christ that actually is going to get something done and make a difference in the world that we're not going to get pulled down into this cultural mindset that's trying to suck the life out of our souls. So you're it. It's your turn. And so Don Couch was here years ago and said it's time for harvest. It's still time for harvest, but guess what? The harvest is more (laughs) because more people more people are lost. More people are like just, they're just swaying in the wind. It's time for harvest and the harvest is ripe, but it's your turn to bring them in. You know, we sang this song. I love the song we sang. It was like the second or third one, Revival Fire. We talked about Revival Fire and we're not going to change the words of the song and we're not going to quit singing it. And we, we sort of know what we're saying, but the truth is the revival of fire is not just going to fall from heaven, you know? It's not like, okay, if we keep looking up long enough, revival of fire is somehow going to come down. No, really, it's not going to fall from heaven. It's going to start in you. See, it's going to start like the kingdom on the inside of you. The revival of fire is going to start there. And then you are going to light the fire in others. See, that fire catches when it touches something else. See, when you get close to somebody else, when you start having a relationship with them and there's a fire in you, now you can have a relationship with somebody else and they can affect you and they can dull you down and they can get you to do the things they're doing. Or if the fire is strong enough in you, they catch on fire. See, what's it going to be? Are you going to change the atmosphere or are you going to succumb to the atmosphere? And so it starts in you. And so you build a fireplace. The place has to be you. You got to have some fuel. You got to read your Bible. You got to know what the Bible says. You got to get some teaching. I read books all week long when I first became a Christian. You can listen to YouTube sermons. You can do what you need to do to get filled with truth. Watch who you listen to. Get some people to tell you, oh, no, don't. They preach, but don't listen to them. They're going to get you. They're, it's a weak gospel. It's a you, you, me, me. You're okay. I'm okay gospel. You need to listen to the, the truth of the Bible. So, so get some direction. Get some instruction. But have fuel. Then you light the flame, and you keep feeding the fire. And then the people you're around will be on fire. Somebody said, oh, the expression of the American church has gotten so... I go, my expression of church is the same as it's been for 47 years. God hadn't changed. I haven't changed. What's wrong with you? And so if you're not worshiping God like you did when you first came in, I don't know why, because you sure can. I said, the only difference with me and Easy is we got more people doing it with us because the people around us are like us. And so you've got to understand that you cannot be influenced by the people that are all the naysayers, even in the church. See, even in the church, it's your turn. You're it. There's a God part, and God's doing his part, but there's a people part. I told Alan one time, I said, you know, I'm thinking that one time I might just get up when it's my turn to preach and just stand there, say three or four sentences, and then just sit down. And then I want to see, what, what did the people do? What are they going to think? Now, Sabata told me that when he got up here last time, the Holy Spirit was so strong, he had trouble standing up. And he, he just didn't know if he could stay up, and he got off the platform because he, he didn't want, and he said, what do I do, Pastor Lena? If the Holy Spirit just overtakes me so strong that I can't stand up, I said, do whatever you need to do. God will take over. We'll be okay. In Pensacola, the pastor went out under the power of the Holy Spirit and revival started. It's okay. (laughs) But I told Alan, what if I just stand up there, say a few sentences, and just sit down? And they're going, wait, she's not doing her job. Wait, she's supposed to preach a sermon this morning. She She can't sit down. You know, the Bible says that fivefold ministers... Ephesians says this, that they are set in the body of Christ in the church to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So if you expect me to do my job, I think God expects you to do your job. (laughs) 
And I am here to train you to what? Do the work of the ministry. You go, no, no, that's your job. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you are to be trained to do the work of the ministry. We are all able ministers of the New Testament. And we all have a part to play, not just one or the other, not just the people behind the, the pulpit up here. God is looking at your life, and he's wondering, what are you waiting for? It's time for you to give away what he's put in you. And see, what, when I was, oh, two years in the Lord, I was teaching a group of women a Bible study. Did I know everything in the Bible? No. But whatever I knew, I gave away. See, whatever I had, I give unto thee. <laughs> and so it's time for you to give things away. Give away your testimony if that's all you've got. Give away that you got healed in church and you felt the Holy Spirit. If that's all, you, give away what you know. See, people can't argue with what you know. People can't argue with what happened to you. People can't argue that God healed you. People can't argue that your, your oxygen was at 59, but now you're still alive today. See, people can't argue with your, t people can't argue with the fact that even the doctor said we did surgery on the area where the tumor had been <laughs> and they could not find it anymore. <laughs> So what do you have? Do you have treasure? And we ordered the sound equipment, by the way. It's on its way in. It's not installed yet, but it's on its way in. Do you have time? See, Paul said you can tithe your time. Doesn't mean you don't tithe your money. You go, I'm not going to tithe my money because I'm stingy, but I'm going to tithe my time. No. Give away what you give freely. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do you have talent? This worship team... Thank God for their talent. Thank God. Alicia came here, and she goes, I, I, I can't play the bass very well. I go, you're all we've got. And she goes, okay, I'll do it six weeks. How long has it been, five, six years? Okay, thank you, Alicia. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have had to hire a bass player. That's thousands of dollars, Alicia. <laughs> Mark 1045, Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Evie, every little thing you do can affect one person, but if that one person affects somebody else and then they affect somebody else, and, see, your life can be affecting a ripple effect that you have no idea at the end of your life how many lives you change by your obedience, by your word, by your encouragement to somebody, by your smile. Women used to come to me in the early 80s on the Sugar Creek tennis court, and they go, you're different. Talk to me. I haven't seen those women in years. We, we got busy in ministry. I had to quit playing tennis. I didn't fit in my tennis skirts anymore. Okay. All, <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but you know what? Some of those words maybe changed their family, maybe helped change their kid, maybe kept their marriage together. I don't know, but I just know that Jesus came to serve others. And we're to look not out only for our own interests, but for the interest of others. That is true maturity. When you are selfless and you can give away to others. The church is in the world to represent Jesus and to bring salvation to many. The church is simply people. That's all it is. The church is not our building. The church is people equipped to serve, meeting needs everywhere in Jesus' name. In 1979, I read a book about the churches of force or the churches of field mentality. And see, one, it's like, you got to come here. And the other is, I come here, I get filled up, and then I go out, and I'm a force in the world. And see, that's a very different mentality. And so when you, you come in here to get filled up so that you have something to pour out, 
Not just to keep getting filled up and filled up and filled up and filled up because you leak out. See, <laughs> it's because you pour out. There's a big difference between leaking out and pouring out. Leaking out, you leak out because you're depressed, a little leaks out. You're upset, a little. You get angry, a little leaks out. You, you know, you, you meditate on the wrong things and a little of the power of God leaks out. It's very different to consciously pour out to others than you come in dry because you haven't given one thing away to anybody, but you're just a mess. And so God is saying, you're it. It's time for us to grow up, not just show up, grow up. And so in the book of Matthew, Jesus gave bread to the disciples, didn't he? Jesus is not trying to hold things back from you. He's going to give you all that you need. But notice the disciples gave it to the multitudes. He gave it to them. They gave it to the multitudes. So sometimes we're waiting for God to do something, and he's waiting on us to do something. And so the title of the sermon is, You're It. See, that's his plan. It's your job. And so we don't want to be overtrained, overfed, and under-effective. No good at all, is it? That's not what we want to be overtrained, overfed, and under-effective. You know, there were four lepers sitting at the gate, and they didn't know what to do in the Old Testament. I won't go into that whole story. I'm gonna, we're going to close early. We're going to get out of here earlier than usual. But they had a good question, and they go, why sit here till we die? Why just sit here? See, some of us, it, we, just, we, we feel like we've just been sitting in the same place for so long. And they said, why sit here till we die? Let's go. Let's go into the city. Let's go. We had go teams one year. I, I did go teams. We had a preaching team. We had a, an evangelism team. Izzy and Chris got bottles of water and a wagon, and they went to places where people were paying, playing basketball, and they'd hand out cold water to guys who were playing, and they got to witness that way. Cammie and Jessica and I think Janine, y'all went to Target and to some of this. They'd walk up and down the aisles, and they'd pray and get prophetic words for people. They went out. See, let's, why sit here till we die? Let's go. Sometimes we sit at his feet and we worship him, like the all meetings where the presence of God comes in and you have an encounter with God. But then after you get filled up, it's time to go. There's a time to sit. There's a time to go. Let's go into the city. You know, I want to tell you this morning, my best advice to you is pretend you're on a mission trip. Because we went to Ireland. You've heard this story before. It bears repeating, though, so I'll tell it again. We went to Ireland in 2001. Easy and I, we had uh, 16 young people. I felt like a kindergarten teacher because anytime we'd get out of the restaurant, I'd count. And as long as I had 16, I knew they were all there. And they were all like 19, 20, 21, 22. And so how old were you in 2001? I don't know. You, you know, okay. And um, they were all in that age, a younger age group, you know, in their early 20s. We went to Ireland, and we were on a mission trip. And Cammie got an old video camcorder thing, and we didn't have a roll of film in it, but, you know, she'd perch it on her shoulder, and we were all American, so that was a big deal anyway. And, and we had outsider with us. He would rap, and we'd go in the street square, and he'd rap, and he'd draw a crowd, and, and Alan and Lisa would lead worship, and guys playing guitar, and I mean, we were quite something. We could draw a crowd wherever we were. And so we'd go into the bars at night, and Cammie'd have that camcorder, and when people would come out half drunk, She'd go, we'd like to interview you. We're from America. We want to interview you. We had a little microphone. And, oh, they couldn't wait to be on our camera that didn't even have film in it. And, and so we would ask, where are you from? And they'd say a few things. And after three or four questions, she'd go, and, and, and what do you believe about God here? And they'd start to talk. And she goes, well, have you ever heard that God really loves you? And, he, you know, and they'd start sharing the gospel in the middle of the interview, okay, the, the on-camera interview. And people got saved. Some of the parents got mad. Because they didn't want their kid getting saved. They wanted them in their, you know, superstitious, 
religious practices that they had been brought up in. But it, we were, it was quite something. And so then we were all real proud of ourselves, except one person came up to us and said, wow, I've been watching what y'all do. Is this what y'all do at home? We're like, no, we're on a mission trip. Let me be clear. You're on a mission. <laughs> God says you're on a mission. He gave you a mission. Jesus gave you a mission. He said, he said, go into all the world. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15 through 18. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and harmful things. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He told you to do that. Now go to verse 19 and 20. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Go on. But they went out, and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. He's sitting down, but you're not supposed to. So it's time to stand up. Stand up with me, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. But, Lord, you told us to go out and to preach the word, and you will confirm it with signs and wonders following. But you will work with us. We are not alone. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that we will co-labor with you. We will partner with you. And we won't just pretend we're on a mission trip. We know that we are on a mission, and you have sent us. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that we will bring glory to your name. I thank you, Lord, that we will have a ripple effect. I thank you, Lord, that every action will create a reaction. And, Father, people will respond to you because of our lives. And we thank you for that. Lord, equip us, continue to equip us, use us. And Lord, we will be alert and we will watch for the things that you open up for us so that we will know what to say and what to do and how to do it. And we will make a difference in the lives of people everywhere. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.